0: Welcome to the CODcast, I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine, and we're joined by Joe Aiello, the Chairman of the MBTA's Fiscal and Management Control Board, the five-member group that was created to oversee the T in 2015 and is scheduled to expire next year. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. So it's been over four years since the Control Board came into existence. Give us a brief update on where you think the T is today.
1: Well, I... Brief now, brief. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From my perspective, I think we've come a long way, and I am um, optimistic uh, about the future, and um, I would say relatively pleased with the distance we've come in uh, four-plus years, uh, for sure.
0: And anything specific you want to point to? Well, you know,
1: we've got a, as as you learn when you get into this position, we've got a complicated constituency, um, simplified to sort of three three major stakeholders. Folks are worried about this afternoon's rush hour and tomorrow morning's rush hour, and is it going to get better? Folks who are worried about the future of the region and the T's ability to adapt to a growing economy, the challenges of climate change, and hoping that we can do more over the longer term and certainly the taxpayers who want to make sure that the T is good stewards of the taxpayer dollars that are there. And I think we can point to uh, very real accomplishments in all three of those sectors, um, and be happy to sort of get into a deeper dive on that, any of those three, but um, certainly a lot of evidence showing we're moving the needle on all three of those uh, in the, uh, the the best direction we possibly can.
0: Well, let me ask you a little bit about um, a meeting just a couple weeks, I think a couple weeks ago, um, T officials came in to talk about the Better Bus Project and how they were moving forward with that. And it, there's been a lot of talk about that at, at these meetings over the last year, year and a half. And at the end of their presentation, um, you, you called it a timid response. Um, and it, it, the meetings are usually fairly, you know, state affairs. <laughs> Uh, the presentations you're either encouraging tea officials or prodding them or whatever. This was a little different. You were, you were, um, you know, you weren't angry, but you were, you were sort of saying, uh, we need to move a lot faster here. What's your take on that? Um, if we can back
1: up a little bit, um, I think. Uh, what I was hearing was a reflection of the fact that um, we don't have the culture change completed yet at the T. And that's a very important transformation. And one of the things I'm really happy about is Steve Poptak, as general manager, uh, understands and embraces the need to continue to change the culture at the T. And
0: uh, Before you go on, what, what do you think the culture has been at the T, and then where do you want it to be?
1: I think the culture of the T has been uh, just to accept to do the best you possibly can with the resources made available to you without a real sense of uh, where the organization ought to be heading and without a strong internal advocacy to fight for the kinds of changes and the kinds of resources needed to put the T properly on that pathway. Uh, We've got to get the organization from the bus driver all the way up to the executive suite to understand that we need to be a better service provider in this region uh, and that we really do want to be a premier transit authority uh, when measured on a global basis because that's the kind of city and region that we live in. So, um, you know, not having the culture Right shows itself in a number of places. Uh, we'll talk about safety uh, in a bit. I hope, uh, but on the bus side of the house, I think that um, you know fixing the bus system is a very complex matter. And because we don't control all the right away, it makes it um, it makes the the, the 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 requirement to deal with municipality after municipality and street by street and intersection by intersection all that much more complex. The end result of that complexity over time is that until recently, this initiative we have in today, um, folks didn't really spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to fix and make the bus network better. And my frustration, and I think the board's frustration, is that when you look at the profile of those who are using the buses, and they tend to be the most vulnerable in society, those with least resources, those uh, who are more transit-dependent. and um, we made very clear at the very beginning that we wanted bus to be uh, bus improvements to be a major part of what the FMCB would accomplish in its five-year period. Uh, let me say this. I, I was, um, I think, reflecting on that meeting probably a bit too harsh. No, not probably a bit too harsh. I was too harsh on the staff, right, because um, they are doing terrific work, and uh, we don't acknowledge the difficulty particularly around this uh, bus reformation uh, project that we have get going. But um, it's an issue that we really, really got to put um, as much resource as we can into it. We've got to get those collaborations to work. We've got to overcome the challenges, the difficulties. Um, if we don't improve bus, I, I think that um, until we get there, you can't say the T is the system that this region needs.
0: So it's a, so that's, I guess I'm sort of curious about your role here, because you said you you maybe were too tough, but but you're trying to send a message, right? I, I am trying to send a message. Um, <clears throat> you know, what
1: we're trying to do is to, to break that paradigm um, with, because there are so many players, so let's just, let's just take the red line as an example versus fixing the bus network, right? In the red line, we control the right of way. We control power, signals, communications, the vehicles. And we can go off and do this incredibly uh, transformative uh, initiative, which is gonna bring us uh, redline trains running every three minutes at 95% on time performance by 2023. Um, and we're gonna maintain that level of performance for the next 30 years. We're gonna build in an asset management plan. But essentially everything is under our control. When you look at the bus system, very little is under our control, right? Yeah. We own the buses, we drive the buses, but we don't own the streets, the sidewalks, um, even most of the uh, the bus stops are not owned by uh, the T directly. So um, I I I want to change the notion that boy this is hard and therefore we need to really take our time to really a challenge not just not to the T staff, but to really every municipality that we operate in. Uh, that we have got to do better for mobility for everybody to make the buses uh, just work better in this community. It's better for the bike rider, it's better for the pedestrian, it's better for the automobile driver if we can carry more people in the bus system and the bus services better. So uh, I think it needs to be highlighted. uh, The discussion level needs to be raised to a high level. I think the T-staff is doing a really terrific job and so Probably my frustration were to uh, partners out there, some of who have begun to really move the needle for us, is to try to get every municipality engaged in making bus service better around here.
0: And you mentioned Steve Poftak uh, earlier about how you're, you're trying to change things at the T, and it sounds like you think he's the right guy to do it. The T's had a, a pretty poor track record in picking general managers that seem to come and go fairly quickly. Um even, even while you've been at the control board, went through it through two, one, just one. Um, so I'm just sort of curious, why is he the guy? Um, uh, why is he the guy?
1: I had the pleasure of working along with him for about three and a half years. So I got to, I knew of his work before we joined forces on the board. And I've worked with him for three and a half years. And I think he's got every ingredient you need to be a really, really terrific leader. He is very, very smart. He is uh, a person who makes good personal connections, which in a place like the T, both internally and externally, is is, um, certainly something you need. And he understands uh, the role of culture in making any organization successful, whether it's internally or externally. And he's committed to the culture change. He's committed to uh, culture as a baseline for uh, uh, implementing a strategy that is gonna turn the transit authority into a place I think in five years people won't recognize. Um, So um, he's got all the ingredients. Uh, The board is very, very supportive of him. Uh, It uh, took us a while to get there, but uh, delighted that he's the GM.
0: So um, you, you mentioned safety. Uh, you you personally brought in a, a high level three experts from around the country to do a top to bottom safety review of the T in the wake of the June derailment of the Red Line train, um, and I know that's on a fairly fast track. They're they're working as we speak to try and gather all the information. Give us a little preview. Are you sensing that it's gonna be, ah, oh, the tea's great, clean bill of health, or at the opposite end, uh, we got a lot of problems, or, or somewhere in between? What, what, what's your general sense?
1: Well, first, just to correct the record, it was the board that brought in the safety panel. Um, many of us were disturbed by the number of derailments that were continuing to happen, and we wanted to make sure that there wasn't an underlying issue behind it. I'm really delighted with the work of the panel. Um, and the detail that they've gone into to ride the system, look at the shops, look at the practices, uh, compare our practices against peer agencies, et cetera. So it's been a very, very detailed eye-opening experience for, for me. I'm not a safety expert in any way, shape, or form. I expect that they're going to be reporting out in, um, I'm hoping, by uh, mid-November, Um but they're still uh, uh, documenting some of the work that they they have uh, been observing in the field. Um, I, you know, my sense is, is, you know, we run a very safe system, uh, but the question is, can we do better? And uh, what does it take to move the system from a safety perspective so that, we talked about culture, uh, part of the cultural value system here has to be that Every employee of the T views himself as a safety officer. They understand what that means. They understand what that role is. Um, we will move that. Simultaneously, we've got this challenge that the federal government put out, which is um, for every transit authority in the country to become compliant with a new safety management system. So an SMS system has been adopted by private industry. For those that have any complex operations or manufacturing, the airline industry um, is compliant with SMS systems. But this is a new regulatory requirement for the transit authority to, uh, to get certified. We need to complete that process through the end of June next year, uh, spills in a little bit into early July. Um, but one of the things that we have learned, and I've got to tell you, here's another place where Steve has been uh, really an incredible leader. Becoming compliant with a safety system, or compliant with any system, um, has to always be more than checking the box, right? It has to be do we believe it, do we live it, do we make sure we reinforce the values that are behind the intent of a regulatory overlay. And I think that's what the report's going to focus on, is how do we not just become compliant with SMS, but how do we make sure that the safety culture continues to move on. in an environment where Steve has already begun to lead that change, um, so uh, that's a little bit of preview of I think what uh, what you'll see in here uh, in
0: November. And it's interesting that that was something that you know I sit at a lot of these meetings. I, I don't. I hadn't even heard much of a discussion about that until this derailment, and now it's become the way you're talking about. It, it's going to become a major a major focus.
1: Well, it has been. I mean, you know, the problem is, and I will point to the board, it's the vocabulary that we use, right? Um, focusing on state of good repair means that we are taking 50-year-old rail, 75-year-old signal systems, and we're replacing them with new. We're taking old cars, replacing them with new cars, uh, control systems, farebox box systems, et cetera. Every element of that, that we take an uh, old piece of infrastructure and replace it with a new, modernized piece of infrastructure is a, essentially a safety initiative. So the mandate that was given to us, which was this sort of fancy title of state of good repair, really is a safety investment program because right. every dollar we spend is going to improving safety. I, I, again, we're not, the T has never been the best in terms of marketing itself and the, thing that it, the, the things that it does well, uh, which I really think uh serves the employees but even these uh, we weekend shutdowns, we, shut we call it sort of capital acceleration. In reality, we're going deep into the bowels of the downtown stations on the Orange Line, the Red Line, et cetera, and we are ripping up ballast, track bed, a lot of concrete slab structures, replacing it all with new. That effectively is all safety, safety, safety. We've been doing it, We just haven't used that word. Right. So we're just trying to sort of... Uh, get better at using the appropriate words around this. So the emphasis has not changed. It's uh, We're just getting better at sort of communicating to everybody.
0: Got it. So up on Beacon Hill, uh, just up the hill here, um, <laughs> lawmakers are getting ready. Uh, they're debating education, an education bill right now, but there's the speaker has indicated that they're going to take up transportation legislation um, in the near term. Uh, we had the two chairs of the transportation committee on on the podcast not long ago, and they were both taking off, I'm going to raise this tax, I'm going to do this, a lot lot of revenue they were discussing, uh, nothing specific. Um, The control board earlier this year, back in, I think it was February and March, uh, started to have these discussions. It was sort of at the same time as the T was going to be raising fares. Brian Lang mentioned, we can't raise fares in isolation, you know, we need, we need Beacon Hill to sort of step up and, and add revenue to the mix and maybe add cost to other competing forms of transportation. We need to look better, we just can't keep raising our fares. And there was a broad discussion about that um, and there was talk about crafting a letter to send to Beacon Hill to sort of say where does the control board stand as this debate begins? Where, where where does the control board stand
1: <laughs> well it's it, it, as as well as having our role as as, uh, as as board members we're also observers of what's happening in the ecosystem of Beacon Hill and the transportation advocacy world as well which is always important to uh, pay attention to um, after that set of discussions that you described um, <clears throat> we certainly look for a place to try to weigh in and the focus had been, really about adequacy of capital and the ability to continue this process of fixing the T, which is the mandate we were given by the governor in the, in the legislature. Uh, but a couple of funny things sort of have happened in, in the meantime. Uh, number one, we began to ask ourselves, as we were proudly talking about how the T is going to be different in five years, GLX will be up and running Many of these are before five years, so I don't want people to think that right,
0: anything is delayed,
1: right? But I'm just taking a point in time, five years. The Green Line extension will be running. We'll be running 60%, 70% more cars on the red line, probably 40 to 50% more cars on the orange line. We will have uh, the South Coast Rail, uh, uh, phase one, up and running. All of those... And um, hopefully we will have an expanded bus system, uh, at least the first increment of that within the next five years. We talked about the bus network earlier. That's upward pressure on operating costs. It's a very different problem than the capital cost side. And we hadn't really talked about it or put all that into one place. There are other things that are sort of naturally pushing, um, uh, again, upward pressure on the operating budget, the pension liability, and this new Paid Family Medical Leave Act as well will introduce certain new obligations. One of the things that you may have noticed is that we are doing this five-year pro forma uh, that uh, Steve and Dave Panagor have presenting elements of it. One of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we're doing that purposely because we want to make sure that that the public and the legislature in particular understand this is not just a capital cost discussion. There's also some operating cost um, uh, um, increases uh, potentially ahead of us. Now, that doesn't mean that we as a T are saying, okay, we're going to have an extra dollar of cost and somebody needs to figure out how to pay for it. We need to figure out how to optimize our revenue and how to get more efficient and cut our operating costs, become more productive on our side of the fence. But we wanted to spend time moving in that direction. So before sort of sending out a letter or anything like that, that was really capital focused. We wanted to make sure we got the operating dollars um, into 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 shape. We're doing that process. Um, probably I. think... Think we've got two more presentations before we can have a pretty good sense of what the T's operating stresses look like and opportunities look like um, five years from now. The other thing is, um, you know, while we do have other sort of expansion projects in play, such as uh, the the Blue to Red Connector, uh, the big thing out there is what's the future of commuter rail? Huge thing. It's a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, Our intent is to try to see if we can get some consensus among the stakeholders about the direction o- of that commuter rail should, uh, uh, should head in, and try to do that uh, by very early November so we can enter into that dialogue, because you know there may be a consensus among the board, uh, the board with the secretary, with the general manager, and stakeholders, but we don't have two cents to rub together to get that done. Um, if, in fact, that is also something that Beacon Hill views as um, as, as, as something important uh, to continue to support the economy and the environment here. Uh, that's an increment that is significant enough that we need to get that data um, out in public uh, as quickly as possible. So what we would have written a couple of months ago would have been inadequate. Uh, right. I think we're going to have now a much more informed Operating stress budget and mechanisms to offset those operating stresses, and we're going to have the choices um, for the future of commuter rail and I hope some directionality on that um, by uh, by early November
0: it It seems though that i I don't know the timetable of the legislature um, they seem to be wanting to take up the debate in some form this year and but then sometimes they say you know, this session, which continues through next year. And I got to say, as an observer, the governor is fond of saying the T has enough money. I've put $8 billion for the next five years, so on and so forth. But the pressures that some of the ones you just mentioned on the operating side, commuter rail, safety culture, uh, they just just keep coming uh, that they're and a lot of that is advocacy, pushing for things. But there seems to be sentiment building on commuter rail to do something. How big it will be is is still up in the air. But there seems to be more and more pressure on for more. And um, I don't know. It seems never ending in some ways. Um, and the pressure for more revenue seems to be growing. Um, certainly lawmakers are... I mean, that's one area where they can pitch in and they seem to want to do something. Is it likely that they'll start this debate and the message they're going to get is, well, we're still thinking about this, whether we really need it or not? Or, But you're, you're trying to get them an answer.
1: We're trying to, uh, first of all, give them the public information about what happens when you add more service and what happens as time goes on in the T, and what might happen sort of naturally if we didn't change the way we conduct our business. We also want to give the public in the legislature um, a sense of the tools that we might be able to employ to help offset some of those uh, uh, operating cost increases. We also want to look at revenue opportunities, you know, small thing, those panels that you see at, in stations now we've had a 12% and 15% year-on-year increase in revenues coming to us as a result of those. We're gonna do more of those kinds of things. So we're looking at own source revenue as, as we go through that. But we wanna just create a palette that the legislature understands. Boy, if you're allowed to T to do this, uh, let me give you a very radical notion. This is me, this is not the board, this is not the administration. We like to talk a lot about automated vehicles running the streets of Boston within seven to 10 years or whatever it is. Um, What about automating the blue line? Is it possible? My guess is technologically it it is. Is it something that if we implemented would be good for riders, good for the T, and does it in fact save us money? I have no idea. So we've asked the staff to conduct an analysis of whether automation on the blue line might be helpful. There are other places uh, where we could use technology and um, other kinds of approaches to the work, expansion of the bus system, as an example. We've got the right from the collective bargaining agreements to do that on an outsourced basis. Those costs mean that um, we can we can implement expanded bus service really at a 50% cost of our average cost of providing bus service. If you just look at the, the Paul Revere service into winter, we've talked about that publicly. Right. Um, so... Uh, The tools that we need, I think we need to be clear to the legislature, so they could sort of work with us to make a judgment about what's the best package of things. The governor's put in a number of reforms, the ability to do more design-build, to be able to do design-build, operate, maintain uh, within the T. All those tools would be critical to receive to help offset the costs and become more efficient as we we go downstream. There is no doubt that we're getting an enormous amount of pressure for the T to do more. it, that's a multi-parted problem, but it stems from the congestion yeah. uh, uh, concerns that everybody has. And um, I think we've set a good baseline, right? I think understanding that we're good stewards of the money, hitting this billion dollar spend mark last year was an important milestone that people now understand we can put um, we can put uh, the money to work. Looking at pro- big projects like the Green Line Extension, Uh, shows that we can do big complicated things again. So hopefully the public views us very differently than they did five years ago where uh, you're wasting my money and if I gave you a buck you put it someplace that it doesn't belong. We're a very different organization. Now the question is given the capacity that we have to deliver, what should our priorities be? And um, our really our view of the board is to sort of lay out choices for the public to see and lay out choices for the legislature to
0: just to push back a little bit against that Brian Lang when he originally brought this uh, idea up uh, at the time you were talking about a fare increase he sort of said we can't do this in isolation Mm -hmm. and he suggested maybe um, ride hailing apps should the the fees on them should go up uh, so that the T isn't just keep inching up while others are staying put. Um, and that's not a what we need or, you know, what the needs of the T are. That's sort of a competitive marketplace um, recommendation to the government, I guess. That's right. It sounds like the board is probably not going to weigh in as a group on that on that specific of a recommendation, I would, t- I would I,
1: say. I I. I, 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 I. It's certainly not our role to uh, tell anyone that tolls ought to be raised or more tolls ought to be implemented on a mode that we don't control, right? That's not how we view our role. It's certainly our role to be able to talk about whether or not the price point that we are at is the right price point. We've been very clear on commuter rail. We think commuter rail fares need to be completely restructured, rethought, because we've got a complex ridership. It is no longer just the lawyer f- coming in from Andover every day that makes a lot of money, who sort of c- takes the 7 a.m. train in and the 6 p.m. train home. Uh, these, this is all-day service that's needed. It's a much more complex ridership base that exists uh, outside, uh, within 128 and outside 128, and we've got to be worry about the price point. One of the things we're excited about is this automated fare collection, which is um, a pretty complex beast of what we're trying to do. We're trying to accomplish a whole series of things, but we're looking at distance-based fares. We're looking at directionality. If you travel in the off-peak, should you uh, pay for a a lower amount? Do we want to have the flexibility for a future board to say, hey, uh, if I'm temporarily on AFDC or unemployment insurance, and so therefore have minimal income, can we get sort of an automatic uh, electric read onto your Charlie card so you travel at half price during, uh, during that, those periods? Right. Um, so we're going to be able to introduce, uh, over the next number of years, uh, enormous changes that would uh, allow policy choices to optimize revenue as well as protect those who are the most vulnerable and, and really rely on the system because they have no other alternative.
0: So, that's all very complex. And your board, you've been at it a little over four years. You're going to expire under the the law that created the board next June, is that? End of June. End of June. Now, the board's already on record saying there should be another board that the legislature creates to pick up where you guys left off. Haven't heard boo about that. Is that likely to be rolled in, do you sense, uh, in whatever transportation bill eventually emerges from the legislature? Or is it, do you get a sense that there's any movement to do something?
1: I know that there are a lot of conversations uh, happening. Um, I'm involved in many of them. A lot of them are sort of what's worked, what would you do a little bit differently? Uh, We've been very clear, as an example, that. pace of the meetings, which is this mandate that we do three a month every month, is, was appropriate for the FMCB, particularly in the first three years. Uh, but it's a mismatch. Even today, it's a mismatch. Um,
0: what do you mean, mismatch?
1: Um, if you're meeting literally every Monday, think of the senior executive staff. You leave a meeting on Monday, there's a whole bunch of things that were asked of by the board you immediately go into prep for the next board meeting so you're ready the following Monday. Don't forget, you have to produce the agenda on Friday. All right. of the documents have to come to board members Friday night. Uh, we chew up a lot of senior staff time just going from board to board to board. Meeting every other week probably is a better pace at this point, and we have been clear in our recommendations probably every other week is um, is, is, sufficient. is is sufficient. So... Uh, I'm not a student of the legislature. I have no idea what mechanism they'll use, but I know that there are a lot of discussions. We get a lot of questions about nuances of what the board should look like. Uh, So I'm very optimistic that there will be a new permanent board. It will probably be relatively small. It will likely be largely coterminous with the governor because I think everybody... Loves the way Governor Baker has accepted responsibility and showed real leadership. I've got ai I, I can't say enough uh, uh, about, about the governor uh, in terms of saying, I got this for something that is a pretty dangerous thing to say, I own it. Right, right. right. Uh, but he's been wonderful. But not every governor looks that way. And I think trying to get the legislation, right, so that future governors understand that they do, in fact, own it. Um, with any other appropriate input that the legislature deems uh, to be needed, uh, I think we'll get. I think we'll we'll get a good good
0: outcome here. And you want the secretary of transportation on the board?
1: We've recommended that.
0: Um, and and how about a municipal official? Do you want any municipal officials on the board?
1: I, I, again, I think that there are arguments to be made for that. Um, there are others who have looked askance at that idea. Uh, we're not going to weigh in on that. Uh, but certainly, we've had a great relationship with Se- Secretary Pollock. But it might not have been so great if she had been different or we had been different, right? The personalities could, right. could, have, could have clashed. But we, we think institutionally having the, the Secretary as a member of the board is important.
0: So have you had enough or are you going to, have to raise your hand if if they create another board? well
1: my my wife and children <laughs> have had enough of me talking about the tea
0: incessantly
1: right so uh you know i listen i, I I've been honored to be uh on the board it it um, it it's been a great part of my life I will, t- I will tell you that um You know, in Boston, there's a richness of really, really, really smart, committed people that could easily step in for any of of the board members. Um, I I just have an instinct that having new voices um, and people who think a little bit differently uh, is important uh, because, uh, you know, none of us are uh, are anywhere close to perfect, and I think uh, having a fresh outlook from another set of folks probably serves the institution better than if we were to continue.
0: Let me throw a little flip side on that, though. Um, you bring, let's say there's f- uh, they create a board with five new members. They come in. Now, you've spent a long time understanding the past of the T and looking at the future. It's, it's so, somewhat daunting to come in and say, okay, now I need to get up to speed on all that and start to frame my vision for the future Mm -hmm. um that's that's not easy and it's going to come at a very pivotal time a lot of huge decisions are going to come next year the year after um i I don't think they're all going to be completed by the time you leave so it's just someone picks up and takes over what what you've been what you started so a little continuity might be helpful as well
1: yeah so a, a couple of things. In context, uh, that handing of the baton is going to have to keep happening successfully for the next 15 years. Yeah. I mean, it's a long journey here. Uh, transitions are important. I agree with you. Um, for the transition from the FMCB to the next board, if the governor uh, deems that he wants one or two people to stay on the board and, and serve out the rest of the... This current term that he's on, I'm I'm sure any of the members who are asked by the governor would agree to do that. So you may see that happening. When it comes to sort of the permanent cycle that happens, uh, one of the things that uh, we've talked about with the various legislatures is that uh, perhaps the chairperson of the board at the beginning of the next governor's cycle becomes a regular board member, but stays six months. So that term sort of lags over, and and therefore the ex-chairman can work alongside the new chairman who's appointed by the newly elected governor, whether it's was a re-election or a new governor, uh, that that kind of mechanism be implemented as you think about the handoffs. Handoffs are important. You hit it on a, a, a very important note.
0: So you might be there a little bit longer than if that idea <laughs> catches on. Just
1: make sure my family doesn't listen to podcasts.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, thanks very much for joining us today. And thank you all to our listeners. Uh, we'll see you next week on the podcast. Thank you,